we've been in uh, 1 John, and uh, the last couple of weeks we've been uh, in chapter 3, which is a pretty complicated chapter. It's difficult to understand, and so we, we've spent a lot of time like uh, grinding through. And, and on the back of your note sheets, I have uh, my translation of most of chapter 3. In fact, probably next week I'll include all of chapter 3 on it. Um, we've made various decisions uh, exegetically to try and um, help make sense of the text. And these last two weeks, we've been learning why it is that um, John expects love to be a part, uh, and really the first word in, um, in Christian life and living. Um, today, uh, I would, you know, honestly, some, some of you, um, well, everybody prays. That's a fact. Um, my buddy, atheist John, who works at the, uh, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory uh, for NASA in Pasadena, he doesn't believe in God. Um, but he admits, he admits that there are times in life where things go really bad and he ends up crying out to a God he doesn't even know, doesn't even believe in. He'll just say like, God, I don't know what's going on here, but uh, if you're out there, and you're probably not, but if you're out there, hook me up because uh, this is bad news and I don't know what I can do. So I want to submit up, up front that everybody prays. Uh, when you're in extremis, that's when things are really, you know, there's no atheists in foxholes. People, people say that. And that's probably true. Um, it's, it's very close to true. Most people really do um, have, find themselves praying at some point. And then there's those of us who um, are Christians, and, and really prayer is supposed to be kind of a, a mainstay feature of our lives. We're supposed to be praying a lot. And yet, what I've noticed in my own personal life, and maybe this is true for some of you, I've noticed that um, prayer can be really discouraging for me. Because I'm always asking for things, and God keeps saying no. Um, I'll be like, standard Tom Bennett prayer, something like this. Lord, please, God, I need to win the lottery this week. Lord, it's over 150 million. With that, I could finally be, and I don't know, so far it hasn't worked. I'm not going to quit, but it hasn't worked. Um, to be a little more serious, a lot of times I pray for healing uh, for people, and, and it just... Sometimes the, what the doctors do uh, works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, sometimes there's something amazing, but, but a lot of the time there's not. And so prayer starts to get discouraging because I keep hearing no's. The question I'd like us to consider today is, is how can we get to yes from God? Um, is there a way, uh, is there a way, the, the question, why doesn't God say yes more often? What can we do to get God to Yes. Is there a way that we can sort of twist God's arm um, and get what we're looking for from him? You know, uh, and I think we're going to see how that's sort of addressed in this text. Um, so let's read the, read the whole text. Where it'll cover some of the stuff that we did uh, last couple weeks, and, and then uh, we'll zero in on, on the new section. So this is John, 1 John 3, 16 to 22. This is how we know love. Jesus laid down his life for us, and so we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters If someone has the good things available in the world and sees a brother, or you could say, or sister in need, and doesn't care, how is God's love living in that person? Little children, let's not love in words or speech, but in action and truth. He goes on, this is how we will know that we are of the truth and persuade our hearts before him. When our hearts condemn us, God's greater than our hearts. God knows everything. 
Dear friends, there are going to be times when our hearts don't condemn us. In those times, we're going to have confidence before God. And here it is. And whatever we ask from him, we receive since we are obeying his commands and doing what pleases him. And there it is. We just got to get to that. Whatever we ask from him, we receive and things are going to be good. Riches will rain down from the heavens and we'll all win the lottery. Because whatever we ask from him, we'll receive. Well, of course, I'm probably not going to suggest that you can get God to help you win the lottery. But uh, I am going to suggest some things. And I do think there is a way uh, to think about how to get to yes from God. So let's just do a little recap really quick. Last couple of weeks. Um, the first thing, uh, I'd like to highlight um, just a piece of the, of the text um, from verse uh, 17, 18. Next slide. There it is. If someone has the good things available in the world and sees a brother in need and doesn't care, how is God's love living in him? Little children, let's not live in words or speech, but in action and truth. The first thing we found out two weeks ago, we found out that the reason God makes mutual love, love in the church, as like a, a first go-to activity is because the church is, is in a hostile environment. In the first century, when John's writing, he's probably near the end of the first century, probably around 80, 90 um, AD, something like that. Maybe a little earlier, maybe a little later. Um, we're not sure. But by this time, the church has become a place that is attacked. It's a place that um, people don't like. In fact, uh, it, it's probably not that, that pe- Christians are getting murdered all the time, although that happens from, from time to time. It's really more like Christians are are being excluded or isolated. They're, um, they're losing opportunities in business. Their families are pushed out of the social scene. And as a result, it's hard to be a Christian in this environment. Christians say, no, I don't believe that Caesar is God. Instead, Yahweh is God. I don't believe that Caesar is the Lord. Instead, Jesus is the Lord. Whatever the gods of the state are, the Christians are the ones saying, no, no, we're being faithful to a different God. And that causes them to be pushed out and and set to the side. And so what God does is he says, when that happens, when that happens, you will rely on the mutual love of people in the church to carry you through. There's going to be times where you're isolated, you're excluded, but the people in the church are going to love you. They're not going to say, I love you, although they might. Instead, they're actually going to do stuff for you. They're going to take care of you. They're, if, they, if, they're, if they have the good things available, status, money, whatever it is, connections, they're going to deploy those things to take care of you and protect you. And that's how the church is going to thrive. The first thing in your note sheets, mutual love is the church's bulwark against the enemy, a bulwark. The love of the community of faith protects everyone in the community of faith. But if we go back to the text again, um, I'd like to highlight what we learned last week, which is, um, this is the next slide. Um, when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Last week we learned that, hey, uh-oh, it turns out that if you really try to live the way Jesus lived, and you really try to give the way Jesus gave, you're going to find yourself doing a bad job. Because Jesus laid down his life, literally died. And unless you've been martyred, you probably haven't quite lived up to that level of self-sacrifice. And so you're going to find that you're trying to love an action and truth and you're doing everything that you can and ultimately you go before God and your heart condemns you. Your heart says, not enough, you're not doing it. You haven't achieved it. And in the midst of that, you have to, to come to a place where you recognize you're not Superman. It's the next thing in your notes. You're not Superman. 
you're, you're never going to be able to do it all. You're never going to be perfect. You're never going to be the everything that everyone wants. You're never going to achieve that. And what's really sad is that discourages some people from even trying to do good in the community, even beginning to, to give out mutual love. And that's not, that's not it. What's it is to recognize, hey, you be you. We'll talk about that in a little bit later. You do you. And then, once we've got all that, we come to this sweet moment in the text. A promise that looks absolutely wonderful. Next slide. Oh, not that one. Did I, did I skip a slide? <laughs> Golden State Warriors, you threw that in. Ridiculous. Do you, you, everyone's a Golden State Warriors fan? No? First off, okay, hold on, first off. Who cares about NBA basketball? Oh, geez. Tough crowd. Okay. Well, since this is going to be the uh, central, um, you know, image or metaphor of the entire sermon, I want you to pretend like you care about NBA basketball. Uh, Right there on the left is Steph Curry. On the right is Klay Thompson. I'm not a bandwagon fan. Don't get it twisted. Uh, I was, I'm I'm OG Warriors. Uh, Like, I, I was a fan of the Warriors starting at about 2009. Uh, when Steph Curry uh, was drafted to the Warriors team, Steph went to Davidson College, uh, which is the college I went to, a small school of 1,600 students. We've never had anyone in the NBA. And finally, we got this one scrawny kid who looks like he's about 14 years old drafted uh, on, into the NBA. It was the most exciting part, exciting time of my life. It really was. I mean, there's nothing... Well, marriage is pretty good, but, but having Curry get to the NBA was pretty much the best. Uh, to the right there is Clay Thompson. If you don't know Clay Thompson, uh, Clay Thompson is a graduate of Santa Margarita Catholic High School, which is the high school I attended. And he's also on the Warriors. You can see that as soon as these two guys are on the Warriors, I was like, what is going on? Is like the universe telling me to be a Warriors fan? As you wish, Lord. I will support them. Thick and thin. Fortunately, it's been very thick and not very thin. Uh, the Warriors, if you don't know, have um, been to the championships the last three years. They've won twice, and we're strongly hoping that uh, with the addition of Kevin Durant, we're going to repeat uh, this year. So I'm like, I'm, I'm big into uh, the Warriors. Love this team. Uh, love the fact that, uh, you know. But here's the deal. So there's, there's Steph. Steph's um, a sharpshooter, three-point. They're called the Splash Brothers. The splat, yeah, it's cool, because these two guys are both three-point specialists, if you don't know. They, um, they shoot from long range. In fact, Steph Curry is probably the greatest shooter that the game has ever seen. He like, sometimes just chucks it up from half court and nails it. It's amazing, beautiful thing. But Clay is not much behind him. They're both sharp shooters, incredibly gifted at hitting three-pointers. But there's a slight difference. Curry, if you watch him in games and in the season, he's pretty much just a 40% shooter which is really good from three-point range. But he just, four out of ten of his, th- of his threes are going to go down. And there's no real rhyme or reason to it. It's just, if you take any ten shots Curry takes, about four are going to go in from three-point land. This is not the case for Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson is considered one of the NBA's streakiest shooters. He, um, he, he gets hot sometimes. But most of the time, he's cold. No, not most of the time. He's just, he's just hot and cold. He, he's reliable for like, you know, at least maybe 13, 15 points a game. Uh, but then randomly, out of nowhere, a, a game will come up and he shoots 50 points. Just crushes it. from long, It's like he can't miss. He, he's going nuts. 
Um, whereas Curry, dependable, very, very dependable. 25 to 30 points a game, it never changes, it's always the same. Klay Thompson, very streaky. In fact, Klay Thompson is known as uh, one of the players in the NBA that, that is most likely to get the hot hands. Have you heard of this, the hot hands? I've never played a sport, so I don't really know, but um, those who have say that sometimes when you're in the zone, when you're in the flow, um, it's like you can't miss. It's like something happens where you're just fully engaged in the rhythm of the game and you're, you're absolutely unstoppable. And the clay is, uh, is, is known for this. Up until a few years ago, um, scientists and statisticians told us that this was a lie, that there's no such thing as the hot hands. Whatever experience um, players in various sports have, there's really no difference um, in, in any one shot or one throw. Or it's, it's Statistically speaking, it all sort of comes out the same. That the hot hand is an illusion, it's not real, and if you depend on it, if you think that that's real, you're just fooling yourself. And then couple of rogue statisticians. Some real, I mean, if you, they're real rebels in the world of numbers and math. They decided to investigate this, and they found something really fascinating out. They found out that if you're, um, if you're watching Clay Thompson, they use Clay Thompson as their example, um, if you take the, the average of like, so say Clay Thompson takes a three-pointer, um, the chances of his next shot being another three-pointer that's good are the same they're about 40%. Um, and if he misses a shot from three-point land and he takes another shot, the next shot statistically is about 40%. No different. His, his, his standard, uh, his standard st- uh, stat. So there's, it doesn't appear statistically that there's any um, special moment there. And yet, when you uh, take all the times that Clay Thompson has shot three uh, baskets in a row, and then you look at the percentage of his next three shots... Uh, if he's made three, his next three shots, he's probably going to hit two out of the next three of them. It's this fascinating statistical thing where it really turns out that this guy really does have these moments where the energy of the game and the flow, and, and it all just comes together. And when he starts making it, he heats up, and he really does have a statistically viable um, hot hand. He really has it. It's a real thing. And they've, they've demonstrated on regression analysis, peer-reviewed journals. Very fascinating. I spend a lot of time reading about NBA basketball instead of working. And so, uh, and I really like statistics. That makes me, it just fascinates me. And so um, on the day that I read this article, I got nothing done at all. Because all I could do is, is find out about whether or not Clay really has the hot hands. And he does. Let's look at the text again. On the next slide. Dear friends, when our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask from him, we receive, since we are obeying his commands and doing what pleases him. Imagine for a moment that your prayers, and really not your, but our prayers, are something like a three-point shot. What if it's possible for a community of people to get the hot hand? What if it's possible for a church to get in the zone such that everything that we do and say and think and pray is right on? It just, it just hits. It, we, we get in sync where, we're, where everything that we're doing just appears to be on fire, working. What would it take to get there? What does it take to get to that place where whatever we ask from him, we receive 
Well, the first thing is, dear friends, our hearts can't condemn us. And, and really, we should look at that word when. When our hearts don't condemn us. There will come times, there's a seasonality to the hot hand. The hot hand's not all the time. You're not, you're not always on fire. In fact, there are times when, when you're not, when your, your heart condemns you and, and you go before God and things aren't right. But then there are other times when your heart doesn't condemn you, when our heart doesn't condemn us. And I think this is actually um, a, a sort of a prerequisite, kind of, for, uh, for, for what it would be for us to have the hot hand. Our hearts can't condemn us. And what does that mean? It means you do you. We're at Coast Bible Church, Bible Grace and Family. Sometimes, um, a lot of the time, y'all come up and, and tell me, hey, we should do this, we should do that. We need to try this, we need to try that. I agree with you. I would love to do all that stuff that you want to do. I think it'd be a lot of fun. But one thing that I, 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 here's the deal. So, I mean, if I'm going around and, you know, I meet other pastors, right? And uh, there's always like the, um, sort of like who's the best pastor uh, moment. You know, who's the, uh, who's the best at this? And really the way that you win this game is uh, to say, well, how many people do you have on a weekend? Yeah, that's, how, that's different. It's a different question than how many people are in your service. That used to be the question. But now, since we're doing five, six services a, a weekend, it's really how many do you have a weekend? And that's how you know whether or not you're kind of, you know, up there. And so if, if I'm talking to somebody, I'm like, oh, yeah, man, you know, 115, if we're, you know, it's pretty good. Like, oh, really? Yeah, um, yeah we do about 20,000 um, a weekend. Um, but, you know, that's, that's really cool that you're, you know, doing whatever you do. If you want us to buy you out, let me know. We can, we can make that happen. Uh, for you. Oh, thanks. Um, I'll, just, I'll just go in the corner and cry uh, now. <laughs> Brother in Christ that I love so much. Well, the thing is, uh, it, uh, so uh, did you hear, did you hear that Saddleback saved Rwanda? There's a country called Rwanda and it was totally exploded, blew up, um, and it was a horrible, horrible thing. Um, Saddleback Church went in and they have... Uh, fixed Rwanda. I mean, they, I don't know how it happened, but they got uh, influenced the leadership of the country and really have done a tremendous job of turning an, really an entire nation around um, from a, a place of, of total chaos uh, where genocide was taking place to now what's looking like um, a, a real success story um, in Africa. And, and, and I can imagine people being like, oh, what does Coast do? We fixed Rwanda. Well, Coast does three things. We do the Bible, we do grace, and we do family. And that's who we are. If we want to get the hot hand, if we want as a church and as a community to be in the zone, in the mix, we've got to not be, have our hearts condemning us before God because we recognize who we are. And we say, God, this is who you've made us. We have gifts in this congregation that are different than the gifts of the church down the road and the church on the other side of the world. Our gifts are different. Our calling is different. And it's when we are comfortable with that, comfortable with our Bible, grace, and family, and say, God, that's us. That's who we are before you. And we are okay not being Superman. We are okay not being this, not being that. We want to see what you have for us, and we're just going to be okay with that. And we're going to chase after that and not chase after whatever else. If Clay Thompson decided one day, I'm going to be LeBron James, he would fail. He's not LeBron James. He's a sharp shooter with a great defensive 
uh, with great defensive ability. That's who Clay is. And when Clay is Clay, that's when he's ready to be have the hot hand. When he's trying to be somebody else, somebody that's different, he's going to go before, and it's not going to work. He's, he's going to recognize there's a disconnect here between who we are and what we're called to do. So you do you, Coast Bible Church. Don't Concern yourselves with what other people do. Instead, recognize that we are Bible grace and family, and that is something the world desperately needs. We are the place where people who are alienated and isolated will come and be held together, held close, brought into a community of of a family. That's who we are. We are the place where when you're wondering whether or not you're good enough, we're going to say, no, you're not, and that's okay, because we believe in grace. We're going to call you to new things. We're going to be gracious in the way that we do it. We're not going to say, oh, you got to worry about your salvation. you got to do this, X, Y, and Z, or you're not a good... No, we're going to stick with Scripture, and we're going to say, no, just embrace God's grace. That's enough for you. And we're going to say, how are we going to live? Well, we're going to read the Bible, and the Bible is going to tell us how to live. You do you, Coast. And if you do, if you do, there's a chance you might get the hot hand. Let's go back to the text. Don't let your heart condemn you. Yeah. But then when you don't, you're going to have confidence before God. So you're doing you, and suddenly you come before God, and, and, and it's, it's, it's that moment when um, it's, it's glorious. Clay Thompson, you saw that picture. He's, he's very um, angry all the time. He has a, a face that um, is unpleasant to look at and makes you feel bad when you're looking at it. Um, but, but every once in a while, when he gets the hot hand... It's crazy. He, he, he squares up, he takes the shot, and he turns around before anything happens, because he knows. He knows this thing is going in. He's feeling it. He's in the zone. He's in sync. And he's got it. He's got confidence that what's about to happen is the right thing. Similarly, when a church captures um, the, the, the hot hand, when, when the church engages in that moment where everything's working and running as it ought, um, there's something that, that, that has gone on that's made that happen. And it's the next thing on the prerequisites is being faithful to your calling. Faithful to your calling. When you, have, you, you can't go before God with confidence if you aren't sure that you're doing what he's asking you to do. So when Coast Bible Church comes before God, our confidence is built on whether or not we are sticking to it. Whether or not we are living out the calling that we've been given and not some other. If we are living out that calling, then we know God will be pleased with us. We can come before him and be like, yes, we're doing what you've asked. We are building up families of grace and truth. We are sticking to the scriptures. We are listening to what you have to say through us, to us through your word. We are remaining faithful to what you have. And in that, we can have confidence before God. Back to the text for a second. Next slide. Dear friends, our hearts don't condemn us. We have confidence before God. Whatever we ask from him, we receive, since we are obeying his commands. If you've been with us for a while, you know that when John says uh, obeying commands, he's talking about something very specific. Um, He's talking about this. I think I have um, the text that follows this, where he uh, identifies what that is. Do we have the next slide? Is it? Yeah. This is his commandment. These are the commands, right? Believe in the name of his son, Jesus the Messiah, and love each other as he commanded us. Uh, It was awesome that we sang that song, uh, What a Beautiful Name. Do you notice what a beautiful name, what a wonderful name, what a powerful name. In the ancient world, to believe in someone's name is to, is to trust that they're the ones with authority. 
If you believe in the name of Caesar, then you believe that Caesar is the one that's going to protect you and give you courage and strength and do everything right by you because his name has power. If instead you believe in Jesus' name, then you believe that Jesus is the one with authority and power and you trust in him. Not only his name Jesus, but Jesus what? His Christ, the Messiah, that he's the anointed one. He's the one who has the power. He's the one who's really genuinely in charge and love each other. That's the command. The command ultimately, I'm, I'm, I'm summing it up here, is be dependent on Jesus. The next of the hot hand prereqs. Be dependent on Jesus. That's where the power comes from. That's where the trust is. This last one's my favorite. If we uh, go back to the text for a second. Since we're obeying his commands and doing what pleases him. There's something, I mean, I don't know. It doesn't really matter what sport it is, but, but or really even, I mean, just any, any, any performance of any kind. There's something really magical when a performer or an athlete or whatever is doing something live, Right? And, 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 and there's a, a synergy that, that comes between the crowd and the audience um, and the performer or the athlete when things are going right. You know, this, there's this, this energy that's like, if you can touch it, you can feel it. It's like thick in the air. Um, when I was in high school, I liked Pearl Jam, the rock band. Yeah. Wow. Love that band. My first concert ever was uh, in, in San Diego. Pearl Jam um, was in, a, in a, an arena there. And there was something like magical. I mean, I'll, I'll never repeat that experience. But, but feeling like I was a member of, you know, 15,000, whatever number of people. And, and every time um, something happened, like a, anything was played or said, the whole, the whole audience, the whole, just, just rose up with this, this excitement and this power. Um, and, and you could see the band like, like feeling it and being, and being changed by it and giving more energy because they received it. Similarly, uh, when, when Clay's on fire and he's, and then the, the, the crowd just explodes and, and that dour Clay Thompson face, there's a little smirk. He just, he, a little bit at the edge of his, you can see that even though you can't, he doesn't want you to know, he, he secretly has, there's a joy that's going on because he's doing what he was meant to do. And we're enjoying it because that's what we want him to do. It gives us joy to see him be him. It gives us joy to see him do what he's been called to do. Similarly, um, God in heaven we even heard it in one of the songs today. Heavens are roaring. Um, there, there's an audience of one, God. And yeah, the angels too. And, and, but, but when God's looking down and seeing Coast Bible Church be us and, and do the things that brings him joy, he just rises up. He's like, yes, you're doing it. This is incredible. Keep it up. Keep feeding the ball to these guys. They've got it. They've got it. Give God Joy. When what you're doing is a thing that gives God joy, when, it, when he sees that you're being faithful to who he's called you to be and what he's called you to do, then there's, there's, something, that, um, there's something that sparks, that fires. If we go back to um, the, uh, the main part of your notes, uh, the, the truth is that, yeah, like uh, Clay Thompson, the church can get a hot hand. It's true. I've been parts of communities that have had the hot hand 
where like everything's just clicking, it's on fire. If you've been in the church for a long time, you probably remember something like this. A place where, where it just, it felt like everything was right. Where everything was in sync, where there was a deep love amongst the people and everything that you were doing just hit. Our church supports um, two of our, our, our big missionaries, our uh, Camp Allendale and, and uh, Grongu in Haiti. And I love talking to Robin and Karen, who came from our church and founded Camp Allendale, which ministers to um, abused and neglected children. And the stories they have of over the years where they were like, we didn't know where anything was going to come from. Um, we just prayed out, God, we need this. And then like two days later, they'd open the mailbox, and there's a check from who knows where uh, that, that floated them another week. Just uh, this last, um, these last couple of years, they're trying to raise money because their, their building was going to be condemned. They were going to be shut down. And so they were like, we need like $3 million. And, and they had like, uh, you know, 56000 And then suddenly, out of nowhere, someone donated them an entire new facility, like already made, and just said, here you go, serve the kids. It was like they're living life, and they're, and they're out in faith, and, they, and they, they're, they know who they are, what they're called to do, and they're going after it, and whatever they ask for, it just falls in their laps, because God's pleased. God has the joy of seeing them succeed, seeing them fulfill their mission. Mike, I talked to Mike uh, Gibson about Grongu and Haiti, and how they, they come up against these tremendous odds, demonic oppression and enemies, things that you have to look at and say, that's evil, that anyone would want to do that to kids. And whatever they ask for, whatever they need, suddenly it pops out. It's like, it, it, it's, it's, it's magic, right? God just pulls it out of a hat. Because they've got these prerequisites. They, 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 they are, they're, they're, they're doing themselves. They're faithful to a calling. They're dependent on Jesus. They're giving God joy. And suddenly in the midst of the game, they start to feel it. And every shot goes in. And they can't be stopped. Friends, I desperately want our church to get the hot hand. I desperately want us to catch fire. I desperately want to have that feeling where it's all clicking and everything we ask, God gives. You notice, though, that... um, that I call these things prerequisites, right? These are, these are the things that you got to have. These are parts. These are elements. But the fact of the matter is, no matter what I do, and no matter what you do, I can't make the hot hand happen. Clay is sitting there before the game. Steph's got a sore, sore, uh, what is this? A calf? Okay. I'm going to start working out, I promise. I'm going to learn this stuff. Stretch. Really figure this stuff out. So Steph's got the, the sore calf. Kevin Durant's got the sore shoulder. And so they look over and they say, Clay, today you need to get that hot hand. So just flip that switch and, uh, and make that happen. Now Clay, because he has no ability to have like normal human expressions, looks back at them like this. But if he were a human being with a real human expression, he'd be something like, what? I can't. What? I can't do that. There's no switch that I flip to, to turn the hot hand on. It just sometimes happens and sometimes doesn't. But, but what Clay can do, he can't flip the switch, but what he can do, this last thing in your note sheets, he, he can train and practice, 
right? He can train and practice. He can work hard so that his body is prepared. It's, it's, he's in absolute perfect condition. He can practice so he can memorize the plays and think about where to be on, on the court. He can, he, can, he can get all of that in his mind. He can uh, research who they're going to play and, and think about what, how they're going to defend him. He can do all of that. He can prep all of that. That's what he has control over. And then he goes out and he plays the game. And he does his job. And sometimes he catches fire. Brothers and sisters, that's what we're doing right now. We're training and we're practicing. We're getting ourselves in shape. We're getting ready, thinking about being beyond our borders, thinking about people outside of our community that we want to gather in, thinking about people who don't know Jesus or people who haven't been hanging out with Jesus for a long time, people who desperately need to be holy and to, and to be disciples again or for the first time. That's who we're starting to think about. We're thinking about how we're going to engage them and bring them in. We're starting to train, starting to practice. And I suggest, I believe that when we start doing that and we live into that over time, we might catch fire and we might shake Orange County to its core when they see what God can do through us. Brothers and sisters, I can't light us on fire. You can't light us on fire. But the Holy Spirit can. Let's be ready. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we ask for fire. We ask that you train us up, get us ready, put us in position, let us be us. Let us fulfill our calling to to be dependent on you. God, I pray that we'll be ready, that we'll be seeking to give you joy as we fulfill the calling that you've given us as a community. And God, I do pray that we will slip in to that moment and that season when everything we ask from you, you say yes to. Yes to thriving. Yes to salvation. Yes to discipleship. Yes to expanded influence. Yes to bringing your gracious, compassionate love to the world. Yes to seeing people whose lives are broken and wrecked and and, and shattered, put back together. Yes, to all the things that you would love to see your church be and do. God, we pray that you will let us catch fire. We know that you can, Father. We've seen it in our lives before, and we ask for it again. In Jesus' name, on whom we depend, and in whose spirit we are empowered, we pray. Amen.